right, let's get into chapter 10, which is alcohols and thiols. So we'll start off with <laughs> naming. We've touched on it a couple of times. I've made a couple of errors, I think, during live sessions if in the spring summer um, session anyway. If we talk about naming, you want to name the longest chain that contains the hydroxyl group. And I'm going to focus most of my attention on the alcohols and not thiols. Um, I don't do a lot of thiol chemistry. It has its purposes. Biologically, it's really important um, for protein folding and similar um, factors like that. But in organic chemistry, it's kind of gnarly to deal with. So I won't talk about it. So you, when you name, you want to do the longest chain that contains that, contains the alcohol group. They can be primary, secondary, or tertiary alcohols. Hopefully, you kind of remember. So you're your primary is going to be that, your secondary is going to be that, and your tertiary will be like your terbutanol, which is that. In terms of physical properties, which are important, because now you're going to see a return of those boiling point questions, like which has the higher boiling point. In terms of physical properties, this alcohols and thiols have um, a combination of dipole-dipole interactions and hydrogen bonding. And again, I'm keeping most of my attention on, on alcohols. So the more OHs you have means you're more water soluble. So it means you'll dissolve in water and not be separable. So you can do, um, like if you put alcohol and water, they kind of mix together and you can't separate them out very easily because ethanol is very soluble in water. And this usually means that you have the more um, OHs you have, also the higher boiling point because you get hydrogen bonding and that dipole-dipole interaction. So the more of them you have, the higher the boiling point. So if you have multiple OHs, and typically you'll hear us talk mostly about diols, and trials, but these all mean higher BP. In general, alcohols are weak acids and bases. So not really great at either. So that's why we talk when we talk about SN1, SN2, that's uh, where that all comes from, is that water is really, really bad in terms of an acid and a base. Let's get into some reactions. This first set of reactions, I'm not going to ask you to know the mechanisms, but you do need to <coughs> be aware. So if you take, and I'm going to show you this uh, stoichiometry, but if you do this reaction, you don't have to show me the stoichiometry. It's, it's not necessary. But if you introduce a metal, you will end up with an alkoxide. Oh, I don't know why did I do that, because it's actually thing. You'll end up with an alkoxide and produce hydrogen gas. So this is the whole reason why when you drop sodium metal into a bucket of water, it explodes. It's because you make hydrogen gas and you make it really, really fast. So you can use sodium, oops, sodium, lithium, or potassium are kind of the major ones, but you can use others. Okay be here. Give me one second. I think I have something I have to actually respond to. So pausing. All right, we're back. So this is a really great reaction. You're going to need to use this a lot. But again, you don't have to show me the stoichiometry. You can just say 
you have sodium and an alcohol or water. Um, you can also use strong bases to do something similar, but I mean, super strong bases, not like the strong bases we've been talking about where it's like, oh, I'm going to use some ammonia. It's a strong base. No, 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 no. You, the kind of strong bases that when they're shipped to you are shipped in oil because if they interact with the moisture in the air at all, you have a giant explosion. So let's say you have ethanol. You would use sodium hydride. <laughs> and that would also give you your alkoxide and H2. So this is sodium hydride, which you should be like, wait, if you're saying hydride, yep, I am saying that you have two pair, you have a pair of electrons on a hydrogen, so it's a negative charge. This is a super strong base. Like this is like shipped in oil so strong. So if you ever wanna actually use it in a reaction, you have to clean it off and then use it as soon as possible so it doesn't explode in your face. So. There's that. So that you're gonna to need to use that a lot in the, in the reactions that are coming up. Now, the thing that you often wanna do that's I think probably the most useful trait of alcohols is converting, conversion of OH to a halogen. And I'm also gonna show you a sulfonate. Um, I don't use it very often, but I know that it's, you see it pop up in like as really specific questions and in, in exams. So you can do this a couple of ways. If you have, say, terbutanol and you have HCl and you keep it at 25 degrees C, you will get conversion to the terbutyl chloride. If you do, this uh, one methyl cyclohexanol, one methyl one cyclohexanol. And again, you use HCl, but it has to be very cold and in ether, which the solvent isn't really important. The point I want you to notice is that it has to be really cold. You will get the um, conversion to the chloride, which like, okay, that's, that's cool. Um, a little bit problematic and a little bit more challenging than we probably want it to be. There's that. If you introduce, and that's specific to chlorine, and this is why I don't usually use chlorine when I'm doing anything. So if you want to do bromine, for instance, you can use HBr in the presence of an alcohol, put a dash of heat, and you'll get conversion, but it's a little bit unpredictable because you'll also get this. Okay, this is your major, but there's that. So if you have instead, just to highlight what's happening. So if you have this alcohol and you introduce HBr, you will get, and I'm sure you can look at this and go like, I feel like the, you know what the mechanism is gonna be. you can get this as your product. So if you're using HBr with secondary alcohol, you're gonna get rearrangement. And I'm sure you can guess the mechanism here is gonna be SN1. You make a carbocation intermediate and so you'll stabilize the carbocation before you get the attachment of the nucleophile. You can also do this with HI. 
And that's kind of really the only way to get iodine on. But there are much, much like exponentially better ways to do um, this reaction. So let's really quickly, let's go through the mechanism for <clears throat> this bottom reaction here. So let me rewrite HBr so I can do some arrow action in the starting. So you would have your OH become OH2 plus there. It's going to be an SN1E1 mechanism. So you're going to have that leave. So you have to do, oh, I always do that. I always want to because I'm like, there's a line there. That's not how it works. So I have this. I'm going to do a methyl shift to make a more stable carbocation. Now I have a tertiary. I'm gonna take, oh wait, what am I putting in? I'm putting on a bromine, okay. So I take my Br minus, it will attack and I will get my final product. You will also get some elimination product just because like I said, you can separate SN1 and E1. So in the case of a tertiary alcohol, oh wait, sorry. That was a secondary that you could do rearrangement. If you have a tertiary alcohol, it's also, so I should say tertiary alcohols go by the SN1 E1 mechanism as well, talking substitution, because we're specifically trying to change the OH into a bromine. If you're working with a primary alcohol, this is going to be an SN2 reaction. So you'll get the same creation. So let's look at an example. So I have my OH, I have my HBr. You'll start off the same way where the alcohol will pick up the proton and become attached to water, which is a really good leaving group. Bromine will come in and do an SN2 reaction that you end up with this. And you'd say inversion of a stereocenter, but it's not a stereocenter, but you would get inversion. But it would then rotate around, and you wouldn't be able to tell. So this is why we typically, if we're trying to do this, and I, I think you can figure out, um, yes, yeah, so we've done So if you actually want to do this, So like, these are cute, but these are better. And like, they're way better. So what you would do, if you wanna put a bromine on, I'm gonna show the stoichiometry again. When you do it, you don't have to show me stoichiometry. I just want you to understand that this is how this reaction actually works. So you would take your alcohol plus PBr3, so it's phosphorus tribromide. You typically do it really cold. You don't have to specify the temperature in your reaction. That's fine. And you get the keep. You get straight up conversion. H3PO3. And you don't get any rearrangement. You get to avoid all rearrangement. So how does this work? Well, let's talk about the mechanism. So I'm going to change the color of the PBR3 
in order to do this mechanism. So the first step, as I do this, let me scroll up and give myself some space. There we go. Is you will have, again, you've got lone pairs. And so whenever you have lone pairs, lone pairs can go and do things. I'm going to do BR2P. This is PBR3. Again, I'm drawing it this way because I'm about to do something fun. So the lone pair is going to attack the phosphorus because that's going to be where the partial positive charge is, right? So negative to positive. As a result, one of the bromines has got to go. What ends up happening is you have this structure. Um, this has got an H attached to it, so it's positively charged. I've got P, Br2, right? I've got, I'm going to show what's happening here. Do I want that to do that? No, sorry. I'm drawing extra lines for no reason. Okay. So I need my other bromine. So I have my Br minus that came off when I did my first step. It will do an SN2 to give me Br. And then you're going to have your product, which I don't need you to draw because it's not what I'm looking for. But that's the mechanism for this. So it's if you want to convert an alcohol to a bromine, this is the mechanism you should use. This is the best. It's the most efficient. You won't get any kind of, um, it won't get any rearrangement, but you do get, and this is important to mention, you do get inversion of stereochem because it is an SN2 reaction. So do keep that in mind. If you're trying to do a product and you're doing this on like a secondary alcohol, because you can do this on any, I did it on a, I did it on a primary just to show you don't get rearrangement, but you can do it on any alcohol, but you will get an inversion of stereochem. So if you have, for instance, this and you do PBR3, your product will be inverted. Keep that in mind. Now, so I did that for bromine. So let's say, so if you have, I'll summarize at the end. Let's just keep going. All right. So now what if I want a chlorine? You know, chlorine is super problematic. Um, it's always problematic. So this is when we react thionyl chloride. So let's say you have this as your alcohol. You react it with thionyl chloride, which is SOCl2 in the presence of pyridine, which we abbreviate as PY. It's a nice uh, base. It's a nice gentle pyridine. It looks like that for the most part. Uh, but what you will get is replacement of the OH with the chlorine. Again, you don't have any rearrangement. You don't have to deal with anything. And those are your products. Oof. Okay. So this is a really great tool for that. So these reactions. If you're going to use thionyl chloride, you must use a 
um, tertiary amine or pyridine because they do two things. One, they generate the alkoxide. They generate an alkoxide in equilibrium. And I'll give myself a space coming up, jostling. And it also neutralizes the HCl formed. So in the case of the generation of the alkoxide, I'm going to change colors just so it's a little bit easier to follow along. If you have some alcohol, right, you'll take your tertiary amine. So I'm going to use triethylamine for this case. We also abbreviate this as TEA, triethylamine. It will take this proton, which will give a lone pair onto the oxygen. R, O, minus, with all your lone pairs, plus a uh, protonated EP amine, which is positively charged. But it also neutralizes the HCl, EP3. So again, I'm going to use triethylamine for this. When you finish the reaction with thionyl chloride, and I'll show you that mechanism shortly, you will neutralize, you will take out the acid because you don't want, if you have too much acid, you're going to get rearrangement because you'll start to make, um, if you have acid and you have an alcohol around, you'll start to see this happen, protonation of the alcohol, and that can lead to water, which leaves, makes it a good leaving group. So you want to eliminate the acid so that you don't have to worry about that side reaction. And so the triethylamine can do that as well. And so it's really useful for that. You also get an inversion of stereochem. This also is an inversion of stereochem, and it's, I'll show you why. Of stereochem. So if I have, say I have a secondary alcohol. Okay. So I'm gonna just I'm gonna keep it generic and say R2COH. So it's secondary. I dropped a hydrogen there. Uh, yeah, so it's a secondary alcohol. I have my thionyl chloride. Let me, what color am I using? Thionyl chloride. The thionyl chloride looks like this. Again, lone pair negative to positive. So the lone pair on the alcohol is going to attack the sulfur, which will cause the electrons here. This is, looks terrible. This is an oxygen to go up. Those electrons will come right back down. So this is an abbreviation. This is the same as saying SCL um, go up. We have SCL O minus CL, and then it's going to come back down. And it will kick off a chlorine as a result. So these are this is the same. So sometimes when I'm trying to rush, I'll just draw the arrows up down to show that I know it goes up and it comes back down. So the product of that will be R2C 
F-O-C-L, so you'll have that. I'm going to change the color of the chlorine that comes off because it'll make it a lot easier for me to, for you to track what's happening. So this is gonna be a special chlorine. Okay. That chlorine is going to come in. Oops. Gotta keep my arrows straight. As a result, you will kick this off. I totally dropped my. Okay, so this is sitting on positive charge oxygen. The chlorine that you just kicked off will come in and attack. It'll kick off the now conjugated OH group, and that's how you get the inversion of stereochemistry. That's how you replace it. So the reason why the alkoxide formation is important with the triethylamine is if you have your triethylamine, you can make this first step even more even easier if you have, say, R2CH. Oh, let me put a line here. H, right? You have this. You introduce your triethylamine or your pyridine. It will take this proton, giving you the O minus, which then can go and do the rest of the steps. So that's why the benefit of you want to do this in the presence of um, pyridine or a tertiary amine. So as a quick summation, before I stop this recording, if you need to convert an alcohol to an iodine, you want to use HI. If you want to go to a bromine, you want to use PBr3. And if you want to go to a chlorine, you're going to do thionyl chloride in the presence of pyridine. Do not forget the pyridine. So those are the reactions we've covered and on to the next video. Recording. This is a separate recording because the mechanism is really long and really complicated in at least two of the reactions we're going to do. So I wanted to make sure to make it stand out on its own. So we're not gonna start off with acid catalyzed dehydration. I'm gonna show you, um, I guess I should have included this in the previous one, but I'm gonna show you how to deal, how to make a sulfonate. So we're gonna do formation of aryl and alkyl sulfonates. And you don't even need to know what all of that means. I just, I'm gonna show you how to make a really awesome leaving group. So you're gonna have your alcohol in the presence of one of these groups. So this is the big one you see. It's super cheap to buy. Um, and it does amazing, amazing things. So this is abbreviated as, this is TSCL. So it's tossel chloride. So if you have this in the presence of pyridine, you will create ROTS is how it's abbreviated, which is the same as it being ROS. I'm going to abbreviate that because I don't feel like drawing the thing. That's what it is. And as I mentioned in the chapter eight, nine, nine recordings, this is the best, the, the best leaving group. It's super good, super, super good. So that's why you want to use it. Um, the other benefit is 
there is no inversion of stereochem to do this. So if you have a compound that looks like this, you can introduce tosyl chloride and pyridine, you will get OTS. You can then introduce iodine however you want to, so sodium iodide, say, for instance, and that will then give you your, then you'll get your inversion of stereochem. So this is really important if you want to maintain that stereochem until the end, um, you need it to go. So that's why that's a really awesome reaction. You will need to use that. So make sure you have that in your back pocket. All right, so let's talk about the okay, acid catalyzed dehydration of an alcohol. This is from straight up acid catalyzed dehydration. And this is a long mechanism, so make sure if you're on the bottom of a page you're using, you need to give yourself some room. Go get a new sheet. So the general reaction, we're going to say if you have ethanol and you put it in the presence of sulfuric acids, you need a strong acid and heat, you're going to get ethene. And these follow Zaitsev's rules. So if you remember that, you'll get them more substituted. And I'll show you why in the mechanism. Oops, rule. So let's take a slightly longer alcohol and also introduce a need to pay attention to like those rules, because of course. So in acidic conditions, you always have H plus. I'm going to, in this case, write it as H3O plus just to emphasize a point. So you have your lone pair of lone pairs on oxygen of the alcohol. Because this is almost effectively the same, right? They have very similar pKa's. Your first step will be to protonate that alcohol. <laughs> See this? Water is a really great leaving group. So you're going to do some SN1 reaction type stuff, SN1E1 type stuff, and it's going to just leave. And you're going to get a primary, oh, sorry, a secondary carbocation. You have neighboring hydrogens some water molecule, could be the one you made earlier, could be a different one, is going to deprotonate. As a result, you'll get your elimination and get your alkene. Hopefully that one was straightforward. Let's try a trickier one. This is gonna be, we'll do a couple, but we'll do a trickier one. So let's say you have a primary alcohol, right? You should already be thinking, okay, well, I got a primary alcohol in the presence of a strong acid. I'm going to get rearrangement somewhere. I'm just You should just know. So you will get three products actually. In varying amounts. So this is about 12% of what you'll get. This is 32% of what you'll get. The middle one's 32%. And the first one, the trans, is going to be 56%. So this is your major product, it's the trans. So how does this work? So we're going to show the mechanism for A. So in A, you have your alcohol, you've got your H3O plus. There's lone pairs. I should let me color that. 
color. The lone pair of electrons come over and deprotonate our acidified water, which is all well and good. You're going to get uh, here, so this is OH2 plus. This is going to leave. Oh, I changed color, but I didn't mean to. Let's that up. Okay, so get that. The result will be you have a primary carbocation. As you know, that cannot stand. So you're going to have a hydride shift. Oh, sorry. Wait, which mechanism are we doing? We're doing A. My apologies. Did I label them? I don't know if I labeled them. Regardless. So you can have this. We're going to do just a straightforward reaction. So you'll get water coming in, taking off a neighboring proton, you get it down, and that's how you get your 12% product of the terminal. I'll, I'll draw it kind of so it's a little more consistent with the way it's presenting. You'll get that. Now, that's assuming you don't do the hydride shift to make a more stable carbocation. So you'll have the same first step. So I'm going to go, I'm just going to, I'm just going to transfer this over just to show. Okay, so we have a primary carbocation. We've got neighboring hydrogens. You're going to do a hydride shift. Hydraulic, that's not a really good equilibrium. So now you're going to have a secondary carbocation. Then your water, what am I doing? No, I'm eliminating. I need my proton back. Okay. Then it's a battle between which hydrogen is going to be taken off, right? We're following Zaitsev's rule. So it's going to be the one that will give me the more substituted alkene. So you end up with your trans alkene. Now, if the water instead, what else could it do? Um, because it's planar, or yeah, it's planar, you can get all sorts of rotation. You can end up also with your cisalkene, but this is where they both would come from, is from that hydride shift. Depending on which hydrogen shifts, you will get um, either trans or cis. Okay. So something that I'm hoping you notice, but maybe because it's been a while since we talked about it, it maybe didn't come straight to mind, so I want you to pay attention to these are the same conditions. I should type this. Yeah, let's type it because it's going to take me too long to write out and you don't want to read that. So let's do a text box. All right, so note, these are the same conditions as conditions and reagents as acid catalyzed hydration of an alkene. So whenever you do this reaction, you, you, you will put an equilibrium where you have a, you know, some of your alkene and some of your alcohol, because if you have an alkene in the presence of acid and water, you're going to get um, hydration. That's why when you're trying to do a Markovnikov addition, if you don't need re rearrangement to work in your favor, you should be using mercury acetate. Diacetate. So 
these are the same conditions. So what you do is you can control, you can alter the um, conditions to favor what you want, to favor the direction you want. So if you want, say you can use like, this can be done by um, distillation while you're doing it, which is pulling one of them using boiling points to separate compounds. Which is somewhat effective. Um, yeah, so there's there's lots of ways that you can do it because they do typically have the alkene and the alcohol have different boiling points because the alcohol has hydrogen bonding and dipole moments, the alkene does not. So your alkene tends to have a lower boiling point, and so you can pull it off separate from your alcohol. There's a special derivative of this reaction called the pinnacle rearrangement. And again, if you have uh, if you're at the bottom of the page, you're going to want to go to a new one because this mechanism gets really, really funky. So it was specifically first discovered when doing this reaction where you have a dial. So you can get here, you know, from doing an osmium tetroxide reaction. And I think this is, I always forget the workup is on this. I think it's DMS. I have to go look it up. So you do this, and if you introduce strong acid, so sulfuric acid is kind of our, our definitive um, strong acid, you get a really awesome, awesome rearrangement, and you make this. So this, this on the right, on the left, sorry, on the left is pinnacle. The one on the right is pinnacolone. It's a ketone, get it? Uh -huh. Okay. So let's do the mechanism. You're going to see this show up. So this is where I really want you to focus on. Look for this specific arrangement of having a diol that are both tertiary alcohols. Okay, so this is a diol with both as tertiary alcohols. So how does it work? And I keep doing this like it's going to get easier. Okay, so here's my OH. Here's my OH. So you're going to have acid. So again, I'm going to use H3O plus, but just show it attached. You'll have a lone pair from one of your alcohols. Doesn't really matter which one. Go and deprotonate. Because remember, every time you have an acid, you have water that is always present in your acids. There's some acids that are desiccants. Um, so they don't have a lot of water, but it is very common to have. Um, OH. Okay, this is OH2. I mean, it has a positive charge. You know what's going to happen. Water is a great leaving group, so you're going to get that to go. As a result, you're going to have a what's behind. You should know what this is. You know where this is going. OH. You have a positive charge here. Uh, I'm going to and drop a carbon. I did. Okay. You will get a methyl shift, which I'm sure you're like, wait, that doesn't make any sense. So you get a methyl shift. because of what's going to happen next.
this is stabilized by that oxygen, right? Because what'll happen is you'll have, you have a lone pair, you have two lone pairs with oxygen. It can just do it itself and just react straight down and give you this, which is a resonant structure, right? But in perfect, perfect conditions, and because resonance is as awesome as it is, you can do this, have a water show up, deprotonate, that's a terrible arrow. Hopefully you can tell what's happening there. And you get your penicillin final product, right? So it's resonance as always, always coming into play. Resonance is what makes that intermediate uh, staple. And this mechanism is general for all glycols. Gen, gen, I can't spell general anymore. What is happening to me? I'm recording a lot of videos today, so I think my brain's getting fried. General for all styles. Glycols. I'm, what am I doing? It's not. It's not every dial. It's a glycol specifically. So if I give you a problem that looks like this. You should be thinking, think the pinnacle rearrangement. If I put the strong acid, there you go. All right, and that is the end of the acid catalyzed dehydration. Then the next video will be the um, end of the chapter. Good job, hang in there, you got this. Let's talk about some of my favorite reactions. They're so fun to do in lab. I mean, they're super toxic and they're going to kill the environment, but they are super fun to do in lab. We are finding greener ways to do them because they're super, super useful. And you'll understand why they're so useful in Orgo too. So this is the part, really this whole chapter is something you're going to want to keep in mind if you're going into Orgo too, because these are really helpful reactions and they have a lot to do with what you're going to do in Orgo too. So some of the other reactions you can forget, but these reactions you don't want to keep in mind. So the oxidation, you can take a primary alcohol, and I usually do this slightly different, but it's getting tired. All right. And you can turn it into an aldehyde, aldehyde by doing an oxidation or a carboxylic acid, depending on how much oxidation you do, carboxylic acid. If you have a secondary alcohol, it'll only go to a ketone. If you have a tertiary alcohol, you have no reaction because you can't um, oxidize a tertiary alcohol. So that's just your starting point. So let's start with some of the reagents. Chromic acid is really good. You can just write Jones, Jones reagent. I'm perfectly okay with that. It is chromic acid. In sulfuric acid, you'll see it as like CrO3, H2SO4, but I always just write Jones. So if you write Jones, I'm okay with that. What Jones does is it takes your primary alcohol and turns it into a carboxylic acid. You can't stop it. Can't stop, won't stop. So it, it goes all the way. I should clarify that. I guess I should, I should say, you, your primaries can go aldehyde and they go like uh, carboxylic acid. 
So Jones will take you to your carboxylic acid. There is literally nothing you can do. So if you have, um, this and you introduce Jones, your product is going to be, why did I draw that so weird? I don't know. It's going to be a carboxylic acid. If you do this, this is a secondary alcohol and you do Jones, you will end up with a ketone. Let me write that out a little bit better. That's not very neat, is it? No, it's not. Okay, so keep that in mind. So if you have primary alcohol and you use Jones, you're going all the way to carboxylic acid. You can't stop. If you do it on secondary alcohol, you get a ketone. But what if you want an aldehyde? What if an aldehyde is what you're looking for? Well, then you need pyridinium pyridinium chlorochromate, which I'm not, the reason why I have to say this slowly is I also look it up. We just abbreviate this as PCC. That is totally okay. Um, it will take your primary alcohol and take it to an aldehyde and stop, which is super nice. It doesn't affect alkenes, carbon-carbon double bonds, but it has to be used in organic solvent. You can't do this in water. And because this means that you can't do carboxylic acid with it. That's why it stops. It can also do secondary alcohols to ketones. So let's take our previous example here. We had a primary alcohol. If you react it with PCC, and again, you don't have to, sometimes you'll see me write the solvent of VCM, which is the same as saying CH2Cl2. The product of that reaction would be the aldehyde. So please pay attention because this is a really easy mistake to make. Make sure that you don't drop a carbon or add a carbon. So the oxygen, the original alcohol stays connected to the same carbon in both. You just add, um, you just add a double bond. So PCC is super useful. So for example, another example, you could have, and this is one that you'll see, I think it's in nature. I think some fly does this because why not? Flies are busy doing things. So if you're trying to make this, or I think it's like a, a hormone, a attracting hormone. So if you do this with PCC and DCM, you won't impact the, oh, I probably should remember these carbons, shouldn't I? You won't impact the carbon-carbon double bonds, but you will make your aldehyde, okay? So PCC is really useful for that. Jones is really aggressive, and so it will impact your carbon-carbon double bonds. You don't want to use Jones unless you're really just trying to get the carboxylic acid and you don't necessarily care. Um, or you have some other conditions you can use to control things. Okay. Now, those are the two that I want you to know. Swern, 
is another one. So sworn oxidation. I'm gonna I'm gonna write met. So let me clarify. So know this one. Know this one. Now you can pick another one if you don't like the ones. These are the two I like to stick with. Like they just I don't have to remember the rest of them, and I will never. You can always use them, and I know what they are if you do want to use them, but I will never use them. So the reason we did this is that um, chromium compounds is like super toxic and hard to dispose of. So we wanted to find more environmentally friendly ways of doing these oxidations, which are really, really useful. So the sworn oxidation, we go back to our thing is we would take this, you would, it's a two-step reaction. P-O-C-L-2, two, oh wait, no, I messed up. I thought that was two. So COCL2 in DMSO. Second step, we're going to use triethylamine, which is the CP3N. So two step reaction. The result, it acts like PCC, and you will end up with your aldehyde. You can look at the mechanism if you want. I'm not going to go through it. None of these I'm going to go through the mechanism because they're really gnarly mechanism if you want. So that's an oxidation. And if you're doing the problems in the textbook, you will run into some of these, which is why I'm mentioning them. But like I said, I stick to PCC and Jones. You have the Desmartin oxidation. You use hypervalent um, iodine compounds. You use hypervalent iodine compounds, which, for example, the DMP, which is like the Desmartin periodic, whatever. So if you have a primary alcohol, it'll take it to an aldehyde as well. Um, if you have a secondary alcohol, it'll take you to the ketone. There is also the periodic acid oxidation of glycols. Again, this is another, like, oh, let me, hold on, let me finish this. So the Desmartin is also team meh in my mind. Not that it's a bad reaction, it is super useful. Um, I know some schools use it as uh, advanced lab synthesis. Oxidation of glycols, okay. So you can use a Desmartin if you like Desmartin, your textbook has what, what it is. So periodic, so this, is super useful because this results in the cleavage of your starting material. So say for instance, you have C H C H R. Oh wait, I did R2. What am I doing? I was like, what am I doing? C R2. And then you've got your glycol, if you introduce HIO4, you will get R2CO, which if you're like, what does that look like? It's gonna be this, it's gonna be R, R, 
this. So it's a ketone is what you'll get. But you'll get two of them. So it breaks it apart. What this looks like if you have a different compound. So let's look at a cyclic glycol, which again, you can get to this from osmium tetroxide. So from osmium tetroxide, if you introduce again, your periotic acid, which I have four, you end up with that. So the compound separates and it does break a bond. So that's, that's that on oxidation. Um, this textbook, I mean, there are some, I feel like this textbook does this weird thing where it uses a reaction that it never actually explains, um, potassium permanganate. If I see it, I will mention it in, um, during class, but I am fairly confident that they never use, um, sorry, let me, you know, if you're listening, fast forward for a little bit because I want to look at. Okay, so um, the last thing we're going to talk about is reactions of thiols. So let's talk about thiols. The thiols are sulfur-containing compounds. The the sulfhydryl group is your SH. Um, they're referred to as mercaptans. They're super super smelly. So if you have natural gas, natural gas doesn't actually have a smell. So you can't tell if there's a leak of it. So they introduce a mercaptan in order so that people can smell if there's a leak. Um, there is no H bonding. So there's no hydrogen bonding in um, thiols. So the boiling points, are similar to alkanes. But they do have a dipole moment. So you do see some of that. They are good nucleophiles. So you are you will see if you have a really good leaving group like iodine and you introduce um, this smelly compound, you will get a substitution reaction. And they do oxidize to, oops, sorry, oxidize to disulfides, which you see a lot in biology. So this, you get, you get, how do we erase this? Um, so what'll happen is you'll have two SH groups, you oxidize them, you will end up with RSSR, you get this disulfide bond. This is actually, the bond that's broken if you um, use relaxers. So the permanent hair straightening uh, cream, your hair, the reason it curls the way it does, if you have curly hair, is because you have a lot of disulfide bonds. So relaxers use sodium hydroxide, like real old school. They, we've figured out better ways to do it that are way less harmful to your scalp. But they used to use sodium hydroxide to break the disulfide bond and that's what straightens your hair and once it's broken it can't reform um that easily unless you introduce water so that's why it's always like wait a couple of days to wash your hair but that's also why relaxers smell is because they have sulfur in them and then it creates um sulfhydro groups in your hair and that is the end of chapter 10 congratulations you did it have a great day or night or whatever you're listening to this